This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Forging Table. The mission of Undaunted Life is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. At The Forging Table, you'll see a group of regular guys forging spiritual resilience by digging into God's Word, and we're welcoming all of you to come along on that journey with us. That's Ryan, that's Matt, that's Zach. And if, if you didn't listen to last week's episode, you need to go back and do that. I think we set the record for the longest Forging Table episode, but there was just so much there. We got into a lot of discussion, and so we didn't really fully finish our discussion of 2 Timothy 2. So we're going to start in verse 14 of 2 Timothy 2, but then we're just going to roll right into 2 Timothy 3 today. Because again, as we've kind of pointed out, laughing at ourselves a little bit, um, this is a letter. It's just one letter, and so it's not like... You shouldn't really think of it in chapters, like chapters and verses were put in later to make it easier for us to uh, reference this particular document, um, but did want to kind of go there. So uh, if somebody will, we're going to see who's feeling froggy. Somebody will read Second Timothy two fourteen through 19. I'll do it. Matt's got it. Let's go. Remind them of these things and charge them before God, not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. Did you say 19 as Yeah, well? go ahead Sorry. 19. Yeah, yeah. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So uh, the big discussion here, and this hit me because shocked anyone that's listened to the show for a long time, I can be a little quarrelsome, and I can, you know, point things out, whether it be on social media or even in an interview, that's like, oh, this seems a bit disputatious, there's, there's potential quarreling here, but I've always, I don't say always, I've, I've had quarrels before that were worthless, and then I've had quarrels that I thought like, no, this is, this is a really big deal, like we have to get to, get to, uh, you know, pay dirt here, but Paul warns three times in 2 Timothy 2, uh, against arguing with false teachers. So we see it as Matt just read in verse 14 and verse 16. But then when you go to verse 23, verse 23 says, having nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies, you know that they breed quarrels. And I got to tell you, I finished reading second Timothy three or second Timothy two. And I was like, whoops. Yeah. Dang it. But wait, wait like I, <clears throat> I was thinking to myself like this, this is a problem. Like I, I will get into these quarrels and like, I always try to make sure I'm on the right side of it just, you know, logically so I can win the argument. But at the same time, I'm just always worried um, now where it's like, wait a minute, is this the right type of quarrel? And I guess where I landed is Paul is all, we see it all throughout Paul's letters. Paul's willing to argue. Paul traveled to rebuke Peter to his face. Right. Because Peter was, you know, doing things and uh, with the Judaizers and kind of, you know, doing gospel plus type stuff. But Paul didn't get into arguments about like small things. He got into arguments about salvific things, about gospel related things. And if people were preaching a false gospel or a watered down gospel or a non gospel, like Paul was was throwing down. But man, I just got to say, I didn't know exactly where to draw the line on this is something worth quarreling about. You know, William Farrell 
as one of the church, you know, fathers that I like most aligned with, because he was the guy that would was would just get after people. And then you see Saint Nicholas, like the actual real life Saint Nicholas, like he like in the middle of like basically a church meeting, like fought a dude, and, and it, yeah, and it's like I I align with that, like that that you know really speaks to my disposition as a man. But it's like at what point is hey, this is a quarrel worth having and even throwing down versus yeah, this is stupid and sinful. I think it's a quarrel worth having is when you know it's a brother and you know it's like somebody that you res- you trust and respect and what they're saying is is antithetical of the gospel or antithetical what the truth is of the Bible. Um, I actually thought about this uh, a lot in regards to, you know, Undaunted and uh, some of the interviews that you've had in the past. Um, that being with um, uh, Crispin Mayfield, like, it's like, where do we draw the line? Like, you, you've, with Crispin, Crispin and both, I think, Ryan George, you were like, man, I didn't even like these books, but I'm, I'm going to give them the time, I'm going to interview them. When do you, where, where do you draw the line and not give them a platform? Um, and so it's like, I feel like if we want to get into quarrelsome stuff, let's quarrel with somebody we actually respect and want to talk to. But if it's like something like that, maybe it's best not to give them a platform for their false gospels. I, I can't just disagree with what you said outright, but part of me is like, you know, just like in the last episode, that was technically a quarrel, but we were all, we were all coming at it from an intellectually honest standpoint, fervently wanting to know the truth. And we weren't just trying to win an argument. And so like that, I guess would be an example of a, of a positive quarrel, but it's like, I don't think about quarreling necessarily with people that already agree with me or that we're on the same team. It's the people that I think are doing something that is antithetical to scripture or heretical or something like that. That's why I was willing to go out on limo as it will and to do an entire episode about Andy Stanley and then brand him as a heretic. Not going to make you a bunch of friends whenever you try to take down one of the largest pastors of one of the largest churches on planet Earth. But it's just like what he's doing is is horrific. And, and so it's like, at what point is it worth raising your hand saying, no, this, uh, let's fight about it. And I, that's with Andy Stanley. Andy Stanley's different. And the fact that Andy Stanley has a following and these, he's leading these people down a wrong path. Some of the guys I just mentioned, they don't have that big of a following. So why give them more? I think that's what, I think that's what he's getting at is like, Hey, there's going to be quarrelsome stuff. I'm going to quarrel with Peter because of what Qu- Peter's doing with the uh, Judaizers. But am I going to quarrel with, you know, this other guy down the street? No, I'm not going to quarrel with him. Why? Because I don't want to give him a platform. I don't want him to be able to say what he wants to say and answer the questions, you know, that I don't want him to answer. Or I want him to answer, you know? So I think it's just like, who do we want to give the platform to and who already has a platform in regards to quarrelsome? What do you think about the difference between quarrel with and reason with? I think it's easier to reason with a brother and somebody that you know than to reason with a stranger who's already set in their mind. I mean, if, if I'm looking at it from Kyle's standpoint, I'm, I'm probably, you've done your homework on the people you're going to interview. And so I think that's what it comes down to is like, all right, this is, I know it's going to be a quarrelsome interview, but is this somebody I really want to give? What's the, to? what's the movie about the cigarettes and tobacco and uh, thank you for smoking. Thank and, you for smoking. And what does he say about the argument when he's hanging out with his son? I never saw the movie. So he's sitting there talking with his son. They're having ice cream and all that stuff. And he's like, dad, why do you do this? You argue and all that stuff. And he said, I'm not trying to win this argument. It's, it's not between me and him. It's, it's, I'm trying to win them. Right. Like everybody else that's paying attention. So in a podcast scenario to me, it's, can you get somebody to the table to reason with them? And you're able to hopefully control yourself so that you can have a good discussion. Mm-hmm. You can't be responsible for their actions. Of course. 
and then everybody else gets the benefit of the discussion. I'm a little bit concerned when we talk about like deplatforming and whatever that word means today. There's some validity to that, but also it's being used in a lot of really negative ways where people don't have a voice. Uh-huh. I'd almost lean towards try to get somebody on and have a good, reasonable discussion and then let people draw their conclusions. Last thing I'd say, hold on. Yeah. John Lennox, a bunch of these guys, think about the ones that you really respect and you just, you've watched their arguments with people. When you watch uh-huh. the people that they're against lose themselves. Who, I mean, who, I, I've watched, you know, like William Lane Craig and, um, Oh, James White, you know, like th- those are two guys I respect and like to listen to go back and f- like to listen to them go back and forth. Like that stuff makes sense. I'm, I'm talking about like, who are we giving our platform to? You know, like if Kyle's going on somebody else's platform where he can speak in the way that he speaks and then pulling some listeners that way to come his way, that, that makes sense. But the other person coming on, why do we want to introduce that? So, into? The, so the other person's followers have a chance to come on and follow him to Kyle's podcast because it pops up may get an opportunity to get a different perspective. I hear it. And that makes, that makes sense. I can see you on that. I just, it's just something that I, when I looked at this, I was like, man, are we giving, you know, sometimes are we giving a platform sure. to people? We don't want to give a platform. And I know those conversations we've had on the back end where I feel like now I'm like, dude, don't even interview the guy. Don't give him the platform. I will say this <clears throat> at this point in my career doing podcasts, I've never canceled a podcast. So, so this is kind of how it happens. Publisher XYZ or publicist XYZ pitches me on having someone on the show. Hey, they've got this book coming out or hey, they got this documentary coming out or hey, whatever. Um, and so most of the time, almost all, every time, I will accept the interview, put it on the calendar before I prep the episode. There's enough. It's like watching a trailer for a movie that you haven't seen yet. It's like, I'm going to watch that movie. Why? Because the trailer was interesting enough. Mm-hmm. And then you get to evaluate the movie after you've seen it. And so for me, uh, only a handful of times, I can count on one hand, I said, yes, the interview, I was excited about it, read the book, and I was like, oh, no. Like, you mentioned two of them, I'll leave the other ones <clears throat> nameless, but the, the, the conundrum you're left with is the exact conundrum you're bringing up, Ryan, which is, do I want to platform this person's ideas? Because what you don't want to do <clears throat> is to pretend like somebody is walking into a friendly environment. Mm-hmm and then try to smash them. Oh, of course. Okay. And so I, as a podcaster and someone that just wants to be an upstanding moral individual, I don't ever want someone to feel like they've been attacked. Now we might in our conversation get to a place where it's like, we vehemently disagree with this, but it's like, how do you handle that vehement disagreement? You cry and scream and point fingers and call names. Do you smile to their face only to flame them later on your personal blog or on your Twitter page or something like that? Yep. Again, I control me. They control themselves. But I guess where I've landed on it, Ryan, is I try to see if we're on the same team. And if I can determine that we're not really on the same team, and by that I mean Team Jesus mm-hmm. or Team Pro Life or Team, you know, whatever. If I surmise that we're really not playing on the same team, I'm going to turn the heat up a little bit more. But it's almost like what Matt Walsh did with the uh, w- what is a woman. He just asked questions and let them answer. And it's like, he's letting these people have their decisions heard. That's the funniest thing about the left hating that documentaries. It's like, he asked you what your opinions were on these subjects and he let you answer and he didn't edit your answer to make you look like a fool. You just are a fool saying foolish things. And so for me, it's like, I've had some interviews where it's like, I could have gone down some rabbit trails to try and really destroy this person. 
I have the mental ability and the moxie to embarrass people and to catch them in a lie or to do something like that. But the only times where I've really kind of taken the gloves off while smiling would be when I've done debates, like on the unbelievable podcast with Justin Brierley. With those people, it's like, I kind of look at that like, I'm, I'm going to slowly drag you into deep water and drown you. Like, but I'm not going to do it by screaming my point. Yeah. Like, I shouldn't have to scream my point to make you look foolish if, if I'm in the right. You should also have grace, you know. And, and Paul talks about that a lot. And not, not only with just believers and brothers, but with, you know, culture within itself or the world within itself. Like, I mean, we shouldn't come across as, you know, these hard, hard-headed people that don't want to listen and don't want to understand. It's just... I don't know. I just feel like when I read this, it's like, where, how am I platforming? You know, what are, what are we platforming? Like, who do I want to give? And if you, if, time you're really, to? if you're really committed to your position and I think, you know, it's kind of like they say the Bible can defend itself. Of course. Right. You can present truth to, to maybe people that aren't aligned with it in the right way and it'll defend itself. Yeah. I definitely would say that science has, has shown from a negotiation standpoint that if you're in an argument, nobody's winning. That's a cliche, but it's true. So you have to keep it at that point where you can have a discussion. And if, yeah. if there's no discussion to be had, then you just have to continue to lay down the truth. The reason I bring those guys up too is just, you know, if we get into the next bit in uh, chapter three, it's just like we, we see what our culture has turned into nowadays in regards to what are we idolizing? We're idolizing self. We're idolizing, you know, you know, this God is for you type of thing, which is sounds great in itself, but we're not idolizing God. We're idolizing ourselves. And those guys just really pushed self-idolization, even in their interviews. And it's just like, man, you know, it's like, what kind of platform are we, you know, in today's age? You know, this isn't a discussion between, you know, William Lane Craig and, and, and James White. So, yeah, well, no. I, go ahead, Matt. Well, go ahead. I was going to say, it seems like, I mean, this is a pastoral epistle, right? So he's writing to Timothy, who he's written to before. And this language kind of seems like it goes back and cross-references some of the language from his first letter to Timothy with how uh, overseers are supposed to conduct themselves, and you're supposed to conduct yourself in a way that even outsiders would respect you. And so one of the ways that I read this is quarreling, obviously, as you pointed out, Zach, was it's not the same as reasoning. It's a, it's a more, you know, uptick in the temperature of a conversation. It's more combative. And when he talks about which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. It's, I think it's important to define the hearers. Are the hearers your, your flock? And if your flock is hearing you quarrel and be someone who wouldn't be respected outside the church, the Greek word used there is, is where we get, for ruin is where we get cat- catastrophe. And so it is catastrophic for those hearers to see that pastor who is supposed to be even keel, stable, steady. I'm going to reason. If they see that quarrelsome attitude, that is to their detriment and to their catastrophic ruin. And so I think this is also a call to say, hey, you've got to conduct yourself in a way, again, like I said in my previous letter, that even outsiders would pour respect upon you. So it's also the direction of your heart. So I've mm-hmm. I've had this <clears throat> this debate with people before because there are people prominent pastors that say if you do yoga you are performing a satanic ritual and there's no two ways about it and that always struck me as as strange because it's like there are certain poses in yoga that are really good for stretching certain parts of your body and it's one thing to do a yoga routine 
and to try and tap into some sort of Eastern mystic tradition or nature or something like that. But someone could do the exact, someone like me could do the exact same yoga routine because man, my hip flexors are pretty tight. Uh, I'm going to do this routine real quick. And so I think the direction of your heart is important specifically when you go into a debate as well. So let's say you have a debate, whether on a podcast or otherwise, just in your personal life, and it devolves, like it devolves and and becomes kind of bitter and Matt, the temperature goes even higher and higher and higher. You control you. So if they come up and then you try to go over the top of them and then they try to go over the top of you and then da-da-da, now we're calling names, now we're taking personal pot shots because y'all disagree on what's the, the greatest movie franchise of all time. Like those are the things where it's like the the direction of your heart should dictate where the conversation goes. But if it flies off the handle, like it can only be on you if you aided in that. So if I ask someone that's pro-abortion, like, hey, why do you think it's okay to kill a living human being that's in someone's womb? If they fly off the handle and go crazy, someone would be like, well, yeah, you shouldn't have asked them that question. It's like, no, no, I'm responsible for how I asked the question. They're responsible for how they responded to it. Like, I can't take responsibility for both sides of that coin or both sides of that equation. And that's another thing. If you look at Second Timothy as one letter, all of these things correlate with one another because mm-hmm. right when you get in, we'll just go and trans, uh, transfer into chapter three now. We see some of these ways of how we're to comport ourselves in the first six verses of chapter three. So, uh, Zach, how about you read Second uh, Timothy 3 and go ahead and read the first six verses. But understand this, <clears throat> that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of good, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. Go ahead and read seven. Always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. So there's a lot there. So he's talking about in verse one, the last days, you know, depending upon your theology, that even came up uh, with our pastor this morning. In reference to the last days, a lot of people believe, okay, Jesus came once and he's going to be coming back again. And so the in-between time is the last days. Okay. So that's basically what they're talking about. But going into verse five, having the appearance, having the appearance of godliness. Now we're going to get way into this when we talk in verse four, uh, the beginning, or sorry, uh, chapter four, when we talk about, you know, when they want their ears tickled and those types of things. So we'll give a little primer uh, for that type of conversation right now. There are a lot of people that have the appearance of godliness. They're pastors, they're social media influencers, they're athletes, they're these types of people that they have attached or we have attached the word Christian to them and to their lives, uh, and whether they have the fruit or not or whatever, but they have the appearance of godliness. But actually, they are lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, dot, 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 everything that was described starting in verse 2. and. We're in such a dangerous time because I read through the first five verses and I literally wrote down what time is not like this where people are not acting this way. Like, is there a special version of that in 2023 that we're not, you know, we weren't privy to as a human being a thousand years ago or or so. But that was a good thing for me to kind of look at to where it's like, man, it's just another good reminder to be like, watch out for people that appear to be good, for ministries that appear to be good. And I tell people all the time, 
treat Undaunted Life as in that category as well. Because if we get, if you started listening to us in year two of our podcast and then we get led astray in year six, that doesn't mean our entire backlog is not worth, worth your time or can't teach you anything. But it's like you should always test ministries, pastors, elders, individuals to the scriptures and be like, are you aligning with this? Because yes, I think Andy Stanley is now saying and teaching heretical things. That doesn't mean I didn't learn anything from his book, Visioneering, that he released like 12 years ago. Or that Guardrails is one of the most meaningful and impactful teaching series. Great series. Like that's, that's a great series. I think, and I probably sound like a broken record on this, but this to me just reeks of dive into the word. Be in the scripture, know the scripture, because if you don't, you you can't tell if someone is ungodly, full of full of conceit. You don't know if you're not te- like you said. You got to test against the scriptures. You've got to you've got to know the word of God to be able to see that. <clears throat> I mean, I, I agree. I mean, we we've been through personally like a church that we were we were involved with for like six years and. um it started to change. Um, we weren't, we weren't built into the word and, uh, the Bible. And, um, we noticed that a pastor was bringing people in to speak. And then we start looking at these people and reading what they've written. And, um, all of a sudden you're like, well, this is, this seems antithetical of the gospel. This is antithetical of what the Bible preaches. And it was, it was a hard time that my wife and I had to go through. Um, but was there good times in that time? Did we learn a lot from that pastor? Yeah, we, we learned some things. It's just like Russell Moore, um, somebody I, I still, you know, deeply have affection for, um, you know, though I felt he's moved away. But I mean, I did a, a teaching on complementarianism and like three fourths of it was Russell Moore in 2006. Not know? the Russell Moore from this table. Not Russell no, Moore, not, Russell not Moore. the Russell Moore. <laughs> Russell, uh, Russell Moore. So, I mean, it's just like Mark Driscoll. You can't throw Mark Driscoll out with the bathwater, you know, like, yeah, you know, we got to understand that these pastors are human. They're not going to be perfect, but we do expect our pastors or our people who are, who are out there to have some sort of being a lover of God. God, you know, show God ex- expects that. Yeah. Like and he has yeah. a pretty hard line and a pretty high measuring. And he does. That. And he knows like, you know, it's like they said, you, uh, those who are preaching will be judged more harshly. Mm-hmm. And he knows what, Hey, he knows like we're, we're guys that are sitting here in this group and we're, we're not trying to lead people astray. We're, we're trying to get through this. You know, he knows that if we may say the wrong thing, He's not judging us the way that he knows a pastor who knows the right thing, but to moving it, moving it into a direction that it shouldn't go in, you know? And that's what I think, you know, we're seeing here in, in Timothy's time is because of the persecution happening Christians, people are moving the gospel to a different point. When people are susceptible to shiny things, to things that seem positive, and we see that in verse six, because that's kind of like, wait, did he just drop a bomb on women? Like that seems super rude for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. Uh, <clears throat> I think it was in first Timothy. I was trying to find it. Um, but, but we've talked about this before about how <clears throat> women perhaps could be more susceptible to bad teaching. And <clears throat> before you get mad at me for saying that, Elisa Childers who happens to be a gangster and is a female. As far as I know, she still identifies as that. She has talked about that publicly and she said it on my show. Do you have it, Matt? It's it's first Timothy chapter two, verse 13 and 14. Would you mind reading that? It's for Adam was formed first, then Eve and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived, was deceived and became a transgressor. 
and then 15, yet she will Sorry. be saved through childbearing. And if yep. they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Um, <clears throat> but that's an important thing here that we're all gullible to a degree, but we have two admonitions in two separate letters from Paul that look, women might be especially susceptible to some of these things. And then when you back up, you take what you just read, Matt, we take what we just read and we're looking at here in second Timothy three. And you think about some of these enormous ministries that have grown. When you think about Christian bookstores, when you think about the consumers of Christian media, it is a well-known fact by people within Christendom, the overwhelming majority of the sales at Christian bookstores are women. The overwhelming majority of books that are bought by Christian authors through Christian publishing houses are women. Why aren't there more men's books in the Christian sphere? Because even Christian publishers won't put them out. Why? Because men don't read. The women read. The, the people that buy a wild at heart, it's the women buying it for their husband type of a situation. <laughs> and so the same thing is like that across the board. And then you see these effeminate pastors get these huge followings and they're getting followings by a lot of emotive women and more effeminate emotive men. And all the while, the strong, virile, more uh, traditionally masculine men are being pushed to the outside, pushed to the outside, pushed to the outside. And then you see these enormous pastors with these huge followings and they've got a bunch of weak-minded women that they have almost romanced into their version of the gospel or their version of theology. I know some of this sounds a little bit rough, but would y'all agree with that assessment? No, there's, disagree? there's truth in that. I mean, look at Christian music, uh, contemporary Christian music. If you ever listen to one of those um, stations, it's 90% of the people listening are, are housewives. Um, all the people that call in are housewives. Um, and, and that's the thing. Like my wife would, would probably agree with you because I just talked about that time that we had that hard time within the church. We had some deep discussions and where she was like, you know, he's our pastor. We have to submit to him and we have to listen. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not submitting to this guy. One, he's not even biblical, you know, but I think that there's a, there's a thing there where women hear what they want to hear. And it, it's not just women, men can do it too. Um, but men are not paying attention. It's just like, look at the garden. Let's look back at the garden. And Eve was tempted by this, was lied to by the serpent and followed through. And then Adam just went ahead and did it too, you know, because he was just following his wife's lead. He wasn't taking care of his household. And so when you're not taking care of your household, this is what he's talking about here. You know, um, women are at home at this time. And these, these heretics that are coming up, spreading a false gospel are coming to these women while they're at home and their husbands are gone. So they can easily bring them in with whatever they're wanting to teach. And I feel like that's the problem that we have nowadays. Like you brought up, you know, women bookstores. It's like women and, and books and all this self-help stuff. And, and it's all about love of self. And we're living in a day and age where we're just like built on self-esteem and, and how to build up a self-esteem and have self-esteem where it's, it's coming. It's just, it's coming out of the everywhere. And it's like, sometimes maybe we need to look at where do we find our self-esteem? Do we find our self-esteem in what we're doing or do we find our self-esteem in what God's doing through us? I don't know. It's hard for me. I'll, I'll read this note. It says the false religious leaders take advantage of the problems people have and promise them quick and easy solutions. They creep into and soon control people's lives. It's not long before these leaders grab their followers, loyalty, money, and service, and their converts are worse off then than they were before. They still have their problems, but they have been dumped on thinking that all is well. So I definitely think that 
everybody is capable of, of behaving like this, whether you're a man mm-hmm. or a woman. Um, and I, I also probably think there's some context back then with women's positions, especially if they were you know single or whatever, um, starting to rely on these people. But it's sticky, I guess, in some way. And, and I think that's an example of just, you know, the Bible says some pretty cutting things and it, it says what it says. It's not up to us to uh, make them sound easier yep. or uh, more acceptable and pleasing yep. to our audience as well. Matt, if you wouldn't mind hitting verses 10 through 13 of 2 Timothy 3. You got it. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. <laughs> Which is, sorry, I was trying to read through those and say them right. <laughs> Which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So a few things here. Lystra, Lystra, however you say it. That's where Paul was left for dead. I believe he was stoned and left for dead. Okay? So we just read that, and they're like, oh, yeah, Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. Things happened at all those places. He encapsulated it in a phrase, but some pretty serious things happened there. So in verse 12, when he says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, I don't know that we believe that. I don't know in our modernity, I think this came up uh, last week or the week before, where persecution, I I think it was a couple weeks ago, persecution in a modern day in America is, well, this person left a, angry yes. comment on my Facebook post where I posted a scripture, I'm under persecution. And it's like, yeah, you're losing your life in North Korea if they find you with a Bible. It's a little different. Uh, Chinese Communist Party is treating people uh, with not a whole lot of grace if they, they catch you with the, uh, you know running an underground church, that type of thing. <clears throat> and so a lot of people will read verse 12 and say that we will be persecuted, and they will think to themselves, not me or someone else is going to fight that fight for me. Whereas I read something like that and think, okay, so let's gird our loins. Like, let's get ready for this fight because if it hasn't happened yet, it is coming. Yeah. And if you're not feeling persecution, maybe it's because no one thinks you're a Christian. They think you're too much like them. And so in these churches, especially these mega churches that are ran by CEO pastors, these are churches that are desperately trying to be like the culture that hates them. And so when a non-believer walks in to this seeker-sensitive church and it feels oddly like the last several concerts they went to and the last few TED Talks that they've watched, what is the, the differentiator that brings them to Christ? And again, you know, God's going to do what he's going to do and, and, you know, they're going to find him everywhere, right? In the right church, quote-unquote, the wrong church, quote-unquote. But it's, it's an odd tactic, I will say. To where they're doing their, their, their level best to make sure that their church is as much like the world as possible when it's the world that we're trying to differentiate from. Doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, it's I think a, a, a modern day persecution outside of um, just, you know, China and North Korea. Um, who's the guy that wrote uh, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus? Uh, Nabil uh, Qureshi. Nabil Qureshi. He there. He has another book. I don't think it's that book. I think it's a. I think it's another one of his books. No God, but one. Maybe he tells a story of. I think it's an Iranian girl whose brother was like he worked for. She was she was a Muslim and her brother worked for 
the the police and his her brother was so devout that um for him to find out that she had become a christian he would carry out the execution himself that's yep. how devout he was that's persecution <laughs> like yeah honor killing yeah or uh, you hear about these uh, our church supports uh a tribal group uh what, what don't, Go ahead. Don't, the Danu. Don't, don't ask. I don't what? The, the Danu <laughs> people. The one that's in Mexico or the one? No. The, the Danu that, people. That was the Danu, Danu people. Yeah. I sent that over. These people are getting kicked out of their village yeah. right. for becoming Christians. Yeah. And think about that. So I've, I've lived under some pretty tyrannical HOAs. You know, these people that like, oh, your grass is half an inch above the acceptable levels. We went ahead and cut it for you and sent you a bill. Like, you know, we, we've been there. But to become a Christian and then lose your home. Like we don't even have a category for that in America now. I'm with you on that. I agree. You don't right? sound like it, you well, are. Well, it's kind of like Jocko <laughs> would say like, you know what, why you're having a great day compared to whoever in World War II that had this problem on the beach. Normally I get it. Totally understand that. But I'm still having to confront the, re- the reality I live in. And just like I wouldn't go to the Danu people and try to expect them to live up to all the expectations that I'm expected to live up to professionally. And from a family standpoint, we have different pressure points. So like there's this great video. I sent it to some of you guys, but um, Alistair Beck has a video about second Timothy, the summary and the last like 15 minutes are really good. And he gets into a point where he says, you know, it's like walk around a corporate environment. Think about going up to, you know, a high level meeting with leaders of, a, of, of this organization. And they represent a global group of people with all sorts of different beliefs you know, how, how do you feel about afterlife or whatever? Are you spiritual? Yeah, I'm spiritual. Oh, that's great. You know, you know, are you religious? Yeah, I'm religious. You know, yeah, I think God saves us. If you walk in there and say, I believe that you, the only way to get saved is through Jesus Christ, period. And that's the only way you are guaranteed to be in hot water in some way or another. And that's going to be very real to you in your circumstances and could have really uh, serious impacts. And I think in the United States of America, which he also references, this was like 10 years ago when he said it, he referenced the UK and where they were at. And he said, the U S is going to be here in 10 years. And it's basically where we're at now. Yeah. So I don't think we should belittle the circumstances. Sure. And I think they're getting more and more serious as time goes. And it's, it's going to really separate the wheat from the chaff in many ways. Well, I think, I think 2020 and COVID kind of, kind of uh, did some of that. You, you can't go to church while well, the faithful went to church. And those who weren't faithful, a lot of them still aren't going to church. Canada. Canada is a great example. I mean, Kyle's interviewed a few people that have gone through some stuff there. Historically, the church has always been persecuted first monetarily, where you can't, you know, you can't be, if you're in a guild, if you're in a, well, let's say a, a carpentry guild and you're a Christian, well, if you don't sacrifice to the gods that we believe in in our guild and we're going to make sure that you don't have work that's like the first round of persecution for for christians historically it's it's always monetary right so i think there's some of that because like even in a corporate setting like if you go in and you proclaim truth and you speak the gospel like it may not be overt but you're probably going to have some consequences whether you whether the reasons for the consequences are you trying to share the gospel are 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 like seen or not like the anonymous HR yeah, hotline. Yeah. I think, <laughs> I think uh, just stepping out to your point, Zach, just yeah. stepping out in faith and proclaiming the gospel and, and proclaiming the truth can set us on a path in the world for some persecution and some, some uh, folly, I guess. Well, and also verse 13, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. 
uh, the MacArthur commentary talked about how there are dangerous movements of false teachers and how those will become increasingly more successful until Christ returns. And so I know that we sit around and we almost like hope that Andy Stanley falls and that uh, Stephen Furtick falls and that, you know, name your favorite heretical uh, pastor that's teaching nonsense, but basically have biblical guarantee that that's the exact opposite that's going to happen. Their churches are going to get bigger. Their podcast downloads are going to explode. They're going to sell more books. And just think about it. There are entire publishing houses that we will not name here that the, the level of not just writing, like just straight up authorship, but the level of biblical depth of some of these Christian publishing houses and the books they're putting out, it's like, this is nonsense. Like this, this isn't, this is a self-help book with a, this is a Christian coffee cup in 200 page book form, right? It's not even a Christian coffee cup. It's like a, it's, it's sprinkled with Christian verses and a worldly coffee cup. I mean, I feel like what we're seeing now, nowadays in the Christian church is they look at God's moral law. They look at God's design as draconian. And what they want to do, and, and I've seen it said many times, is if we remain like this, we'll be irrelevant to the youngest generation. It is not about truth now. It's about, well, how do we reach these young people? So we need to compromise. If we don't compromise, then we're going to lose people. And it's like, you, you really think God's gospel needs your help? You know, like, just go out there and teach it. That's what, that's what Paul's saying here. Paul is saying to Timothy, go out and teach the truth. Be so, steadfast in the truth. Earlier in his letter, Paul talks about in a great house, and he talks about honorable vessels and dishonorable vessels. The honorable vessels are the gold and the silver. You, you leave those with the gold and the silver, right? The dishonorable vessels, I think a lot of scholars say that those are like the trash. You take the trash out with those vessels. They're wood. They're junk. They're, they're dirty. You don't, leave, you don't put those in the same... Like you don't, you don't store those with the, with the valuable ones. And I think talking about these false teachings, those are obviously the, the dishonorable vessels. But if you put gold and silver and it starts hanging out with the dirty garbage bins, that gold and silver gets tarnished. It starts to look like garbage. And I think that's why it's so important. That's why he like is harping on it is because he wants, he is, he is encouraging and calling Timothy to be an honorable vessel in the house of God. Don't be a dishonorable trash bin because, and if you hang out with those people, you're going to become one. And I think that's a great, that's a great picture of what that can do to a church. It can, it can completely like catastrophic ruin back to, um, chapter two, like, it can be the, the ruin of a church. Well, I'd, I'd say one more thing, just draw this back for a second, like from a church perspective and then what I mentioned with corporate, I'm definitely not saying don't be bold, don't share your faith and all that. What I, what I think what I see is a little bit of, I want to feel comfortable to do that and I think everybody has a right to, but I think it's easy to see circumstances where that would be difficult. And uh, I, I just think we have to figure out the best way to navigate that without compromising yourself. And, and I recognize it's hard. And I, I was going to say one more thing about being like deceiving and being deceived. I think our, our duty as faithful Christians is to pray for false teachers mm-hmm. the same way we would pray for our own kids salvation because they are deceiving. They're also being deceived. And while there's some culpability there, 
they are believing a deception as well. And so praying for their salvation and praying that their eyes would be opened is something that we can miss very easily and we can have contempt for those people. And I'm, I'm guilty of this for sure. And some of you have heard me talk about some of these guys and I'm like, I, like I have contempt for some, cause it makes you angry. Like if someone, if someone is speaking untruths about your heavenly father who created the universe, like you want to speak out against that. But I think we are also, we are called to pray for those people too. It, it helps you too. Like, I'm not going to be specific, but there's some people that we've had some challenges with. Mm. And at night, it's a very diplomatic way of putting at, it. I would yeah. agree with that. At night, like with my son, we go through a prayer list, and I'll I'll specifically include some some people, whether it's people that he's dealing with at school, maybe, or that you know he's aware of that I'm dealing with, just as an example of, hey, let's pray for this. And what I've noticed is I do that also is that it, I think it it adjusts my perspective of the problem and of that person to an extent. And also it's pray for them, not about them. Mm. Yes. And so, (laughs) and I would love to be the one that came up with that, but uh, drum roll, please. Joby Martin taught me that in a personal conversation, we were talking about a specific person that I was having some issues with and they're like, have you prayed for them or about them? And he said it in his South South Carolina redneck draw. And I was just like, dad, shut up. Are you you gossiping to God? Yeah. Yeah. Or are you praying for something? Yeah. I really think you should, uh, God, I just want to pray for this person and their horrible ability at being good and how they're not like me. Like, yes, it's like, what is, again, what's the posture of your prayer? Are you doing yoga with your ponytail hooked up to the tree trying to get power from the Avatar Matrix universe? Or are you just doing it to to loosen up a little bit? I thought you said yoga was good. No, no, no. I'm saying it's the positioning of your heart. Like, again, ponytail hooked up to the tree, bad, you know, doing it because you want to be, you know, better at sports and not getting injured, you know, good. But the, the, the whole thing is, is, we, we shouldn't take even that commentary from MacArthur that, hey, these, these false teachers are going to become more successful over time. We shouldn't take that pessimistically. I'm saying that to a pessimist myself to be like, well, we're just going to throw our hands up and you know wait for the rapture nope. or wait until we're sur- survived. It's like, no, no, no. It means we're going to have to sharpen our swords more. Yeah. We're going to have to be ready. We're not going to have to. We, we need to make sure we don't get caught flat-footed, especially when the culture seems to be degrading because there's current, currently things happening in culture that were unthinkable years ago. And I remember good buddies of mine a few years ago, me talking about, Hey buddy, the next domino to fall is pedophilia. There's going to be a normalization of pedophilia. Cause if you can choose your own gender as a child, as a minor, why can you not choose your own sexual partner? Also, if you can identify as something that doesn't align with truth or reality, why can't you identify as a different age, be that older or younger 45 year old man wants to have a sexual relationship with 12 year old girl, 45 year old just identifies as a 12 year old boy. Yeah. Uh, you know, Bob's your uncle. Boom. There you go. You, you've got a sexual relationship. And according to the logic of the left or the logic of our depraved culture, that's an okay and acceptable thing. That doesn't mean that we just keep throwing our hands up and continuing backing up. It's like there are fights worth fighting and yeah. the, the, the battles are just going to be a little bit more difficult. I think the picture of gird, girding your loins and being prepared, I think it's helpful to understand like what that means because you wore a robe and if your robe is down, if a lion jumps out at you and starts chasing, you can't run, right? You're going to trip. And so girding your loins is a process of, of hiking up your robe and tying it in a, in a way that kind of looks like shorts. So you're ready for whatever. And uh, to your point, Kyle, like, be, like being in a stance or a posture that's ready to combat is what the call is. And if your robe's down, man, you're going to trip and you're going to get eaten alive. And part of it's preparedness. I tell people all the time, if you're a concealed carrier and you've never had the conversation with yourself about whether or not you could 
into life, then you probably don't need to be carrying that firearm because if you're in that life or death situation and now you're trying to decide whether or not you're going to point that particular weapon at somebody and pull the trigger and potentially end their life, it's too late. It is way, way, way too late. That's a conversation you need to have with yourself beforehand. But as we wrap up our discussion of 2 Timothy 3, Ryan, could you read 16 and 17, last two verses? All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. So, excuse me, if you've ever heard that scripture is God breathed, this is this is where we get that. So all scripture is breathed out by God. Now, if, go ahead. If you go to a church or you're looking at it, finding a church and you go to doctrines and you don't see that in there, run. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about that. So forgiving all the puns, I'm going to be the devil's advocate here because we all know about circular reasoning. So I think we mentioned uh, what is a woman either earlier the, on this one or last week. Where, you know, people are like, you know, Matt Walsh will say, what is a woman? A woman is someone who identifies as a woman. And then he's like, well, what is that? There, it's just a woman. And it's like, you're using the definition in the word that you're trying to define. You're using the word that you're trying to define in the definition for that word. Like, that's not how this works. When you hear people say things like, let the Bible read the Bible. Or the Bible is true because the Bible says that it's true. The Bible is inerrant, not to be confused with inherent, but the Bible is inerrant. Why? Because the Bible says so. Um, that is a, a stumbling block for a lot of people. Okay. Now, you were the oldest, Zach, before you became a Christian out of all of this. So you're, you've been steeped in logic and reasoning and you know, Western thought and all these different things. But I even remember not growing up in church, but kind of being part of this whole thing since I was in high school that just not striking me as a good enough argument. As we talked about last week, it doesn't matter if the argument's better or if logic says that this is true and that's not true. It matters what is true. But when people talk about that and you're trying to convince or argument or provide or apologetic to a non-Christian as to why we should believe the Bible and your argument is because the Bible says so, they could very easily say, well, I believe the Quran because the Quran says so. Or I believe... uh, this random writing by uh, L. Ron Hubbard about Scientology because he says, he says it's true. It's like, <clears throat> I think people really struggle with that. And if we're being honest, I know most Christians would never admit, admit this out loud. They struggle with this too. God, it's inerrant. Well, wait, wait a minute. Like it doesn't even make sense that somebody could be swallowed by a whale and live inside them. Like the whole world that God set up would make that not a possibility. So it's a violation of, of all the rules of nature. And, and you know, if there's one historical fact that was written down improperly in the Bible, then we can just throw out the entire Bible out. Or if, you know, this person said there was two angels at the tomb and this person said there was one angel at the tomb. Like how can we know and trust Again, I'm playing devil's advocate here, but again, guys, this is a problem for a lot of people. Let the Bible read the Bible. It's hard. Let me, let me go in real quick. I know you want to go too, but no, you go ahead, man. So first, first thing for me would just be, and we've talked about this before, but when it comes to anything that seems like a crazy miracle in the Bible, that's difficult to get your head around Jonah fish, you know, whatever. I think we all have to go back to the fact that we're all here. We all exist and we all exist from nothing. And that's been kind of objectively shown scientifically that everything came from nothing. So by definition, everybody believes in a miracle, at least one. And if one miracle is possible, then any other miracle is possible. Thank you, Frank Turk for that. That was, uh, that was big for me. Um, but I think it comes back to what I've heard you say, 
which is if Jesus actually rose from the grave and he validated this, that's what it comes back to for me. So I would always point somebody back to the argument for Christ uh, rising from the grave and the evidence surrounding that. And then he validated the rest of the Bible. I've talked to people recently who said, yeah, I think that's true, but I don't believe anything Paul said. I know you guys have probably dealt with that before, but this right. is the first time yeah. I'd been confronted with that. And I had to think about it for a second. I go, well, you know, Christ, you know, basically validated all of his apostles. And he says that he appeared to Paul, but then the apostles that were with Christ in person also validated Paul. So by definition, if you believe that Christ rose from the dead, then it's validated. I would also ask him, does he like Luke, the book of Luke? Because that's basically Paul's version of the gospel. Yeah. So I, I agree with you a hundred percent. I mean, I've, I've had that, you know, I've sat there and thought, do I really believe that a 33 year old Jewish carpenter died on a cross? after being scourged and rose three days later. Like if I can believe that and have my faith in that, everything else in the Bible is true to me. It's like, I can't, I can't even explain that, you know, but I can explain. We saw a man, what, three years ago that got swallowed by a whale or a fish and lived in there for like two days. So we know that Jonah could uh, definitely have happened. Wait, what? Yeah. There's a guy. I'm gonna look it up. Yeah, it was a, I, I remember seeing a video of kayakers being had a, a whale like basically grab them and then spit them out like a second later. Yeah, the very unironic title of the article was "Modern Day Jonah Swallowed by a Whale." Okay, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that's man swallowed by whale by modern, Cape Cod, modern day lobster Jonah, diver in twenty twenty one. What kind of whale? Yeah. So, what kind that, of whale? What was it? What kind of whale? Does it say? In the Cape Cod. Is it a cool whale? At least. Why do we even get in the ocean? Wait, wait, you're saying that it swallowed him and it, he was in there for, you said two days? I think it was two days. Quite, not quite three. This is, this is important because if it was like two minutes, then that's <laughs> a little different. Maybe, maybe it was two minutes. I'm pretty sure it was, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was that doesn't, yeah, it, that was, doesn't ruin your point, but it just yeah. was shocking no, to me that trying. somebody lived I, in a whale. I think I was completely he, inside. It was completely uh, black. That's what he said. <laughs> I, I think uh, obviously, the resurrection story and people having eyewitness accounts of Jesus is, is very powerful. But I think there's other, there's other ways to know that the Bible is breathed out by God. Just looking at prophecies or telling of Christ and, you know, like even going back Genesis three, like prophesying a savior and Christ being present in the entire Old Testament, hundreds, thousands of years before his earthly birth. So there's there's plenty of examples. That wouldn't speak a skeptic to that. push back on that though? I mean, you, I'm sure they. You'd would. have to go outside the Bible to prove that they had copies of the Bible that predated Christ. So you could say that it wasn't rewritten afterwards. And and you, the thing is, you'll find that sure. to be true. Yeah, yeah, which is incredible. For sure. Yeah. I mean, yes. You would have to do that, but yes, like you said, that's like Isaiah, you know, the fact that they found that in the Dead Sea Scrolls, I forget how many, like a thousand years before Christ, which, which has Isaiah 53 and everything else contained in it was incredible. There was, uh, I was in Sunday school a couple of weeks ago and there was, I want to say it's an old Testament book that the earliest copy that we had until the Dead Sea Scrolls was written after the Quran. Mm-hmm. And so Muslims had that trump card for years. Our religion is older than yours. You guys just made it up after we said it. 
And then the Dead Sea Scrolls. God's like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> Here it is. Dead Sea Scrolls pop up. It's like, okay, boom. Now this is this predates you your guys' stuff by even longer. And so I heard a, a, a little quip the other day, and it just said <laughs> when you're t- they were talking to a Muslim or whatever, and they said, if the Quran were true, why would Jesus be so popular? They just left it at that. Wow. They were asking a Muslim. Yeah, <laughs> just silence. I think the thing that again a lot of people struggle with because like I can I'm skeptical by nature, so I can kind of see where people come to these realizations because again there are a lot of arguments that christian make christians make that are just intellectually not satisfying but then i also feel like christians maybe go a little bit out over their skis when they make their arguments and so we're definitely not opening up young earth versus old earth right now that's definitely not what's happening that's a quarrelsome argument everybody everybody just relax i don't even know where y'all land on that but i'm just assuming it's going to land somewhere but when someone says which again doesn't matter six literal days versus six like old days like i would we're not going there no just where, keep going but where we are going is when christians will say well dinosaurs like t-rexes and raptors and triceratops and all the dinosaurs i've learned about because my three-year-old's into them right now those weren't described in the bible so it's not possible that they ever roamed the earth they were placed into the earth to test our faith i just go yeah this is getting icky yeah that's crazy so, that's crazy for and, sure and so and again, you don't have to fit into the world's conception of what a good argument is because the world's like, if it's not scientific, then I don't want to hear it. It's like, well, scientifically prove that you love your son. Oh, you can't put that in a Bunsen burner? Like, okay, or, or Beaker or something like that. It's like, okay, well, then that's not, that's not true. You don't actually love your son. Like, you can, we can go around all day, but I do feel like I've heard Christians say, like, if it's not in the Bible, it's not true. I'm like, well, George Washington was the first president of the United States. That is true. And I didn't learn that from the Bible. And so, again, I, th- I think we have to be careful when people are like, the source of all truth and knowledge is in the Bible. It's like, no, it's not. The source of the most important truths are in the Bible, but you can't figure out who the 25th president of the United States is by going to the Bible. You can't figure out how to get to grandmas by looking at the Bible. And I think we have to understand that if you're looking for why truth even matters, the Bible is super duper relevant, but we have to be very careful with how we describe the Bible you know, people talk about it as a roadmap for a perfect life and all that. Like, it's not really that either. Like, the Bible is to give us an understanding of the true nature of God and to also explain to us how we are to have salvation through the, the truth of the gospel. Like, that's how we can share that now, whereas in the first century they shared it because they saw it, because they experienced it. Like, it's, it's just a little bit different. So I feel like I'm, I'm tiptoeing near heresy here, but I, I've, hopefully you guys understand what I'm I, saying. I think you just go back to, if you're dealing with that kind of a question, just go back to those basic questions about Christ before you confront anything else. And then if you get to Christ, I think this is true. Uh, challenge somebody to look back using the Bible and, and properly understood, see if it's ever been disproven. It may not be comprehensive in all of its facts, but has what it's chosen to make, you know, plain been disproven historically at all. Yeah, absolutely. So. And, and again, there, there are a lot of apologists out there. Like I highly, I, what we've mentioned, uh, William Lane Craig, John Lennox, Turek, uh, Turek uh, James White. Like there, there's always really good ones. And again, I think especially like William Lane Craig, he sometimes goes even too far to not try to not use the Bible. 
to, to make his arguments, but he's doing something that is somewhat unique in the Christian apologetic space where he's like, he's appealing to a unbelievably high minded person that thinks anything that's even tangentially related to the, to the word of God is nonsense. And so he's going through a much longer, more circuitous route to the person's heart. And so again, people have some things that they can quibble with in terms of how he's approached uh, certain debates and and certain things that he's written about. But I think that his heart would uh, certainly be in the right place. But guys, there is certainly more that we could talk about here in terms of second Timothy three, but we're going to leave that there, but come back here next week because we're going to wrap up second Timothy by discussing second Timothy four. So guys, make sure that you read that and come back here next week for that discussion. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. The only link we've got is to the donation page on our website. Guys, the way we're able to pull off the forging table, the way we're really able to keep the lights on around here is because we have donors. We have guys that have hopped in, some of them on a one-time basis, but many on a monthly basis, like five bucks a month, 50 bucks a month, 500 bucks a month, whatever, to say, look, we believe in what you guys are doing and we want to equip you to be able to equip men around the globe to be able to push back darkness. And so we need you guys to partner with us. So go to undaunted.life backslash donate or go to the donation link that is in the show notes. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. Also, we want to thank the band Holy Name for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is our song Perpetua, which is off their self titled debut album on face down records the links are in the description i'm your host kyle thompson remember keep pushing back darkness keep forging spiritual mental and physical resilience keep seeking the lion of judah <laughs>